This is N64 Life with myself, Cliff Foster, a.k.a. the amazing Cliff on the old Twitter, your guide through the world's greatest computer game console of all time, the Nintendo 64, and welcome aboard. Welcome aboard, you. Yes, you. I see what you're doing. You you shouldn't be eating that whilst listening to a podcast, but welcome aboard. Welcome aboard to 17th episode of N64 Life. That is uh, mind-boggling. I thought I thought in my head we were only on about 10 episodes. <laughs> nope, 17. 17 of these blinking things. Uh, and if you don't know what's coming in the future, there is a certain podcast we have not opened yet. So we've got the Battle for Jinjos, which we've got today. We've got the A-Mini Histories, which will be coming on anniversaries, and there's one coming up in September. Uh, Hint, tips, uh, I've already said it. Um, (laughs) But there is, and obviously we have Player 2 enters the pod when uh, somebody joins me and we chat about specific games or their times with games, and we've got some people lined up for that in the future. But there's one that hasn't been unlocked. But we are getting very very close now if you didn't know already this podcast has a twitch channel and i air every friday and every sunday from 8 30 to 11 o'clock that that's in the evening not the morning i'm not mental um yeah so if you haven't already joined us it's n64 life podcast now every hundred that i hit as of 200 i have to play One of the worst games of all time for this console. And the first one, we are starting off with a bang. And you would have heard this on other podcasts. That we will be doing, in its entirety, Superman 64. Or the new adventures of Superman. Um, Now, it isn't just that I will be completing this on the stream. And we have 14 followers to find, by the way. So not many. So if you're not ready... You know, you want to cause me some pain, you know where to go. Um, But we are 14 followers away also from it affecting the podcasts. Because we will be doing alongside that, once I have completed these games, we'll be doing a retrospective on the games themselves. Now that's, we got, I'm going to dive into the history, I'm going to give you my genuine opinion of the games, I, I may well find that I actually don't agree that these are what, some of the worst games of all time, you, we just don't know yet. But what we'll be doing is, yeah, having that deep dive and that will be known as Project Reality Check. See what I did there, eh? Eh? But yeah, that, that will be coming up uh, after I've completed... The, uh, the game itself. So a little bit of a way. You've got a little bit of a rate. But saying that, it's not far. 14 followers. <laughs> it could well be next month. It could well be next month we've at least started playing the game on the Sunday streams. It's... Oh, my giddy aunt. 
Oh, and do you know what? If you are involved with that, if you are involved in the chat, you can earn yourself Jinjo's chat points. And one of those things you can claim is a shout out. So here are the shout outs for this podcast. We have Imorpha. We have with his dad jokes, Sean. We have the legendary Matty Boo. And if you're not following Matty Boo Twitches already, go and do so. Matty Vision, which airs just before I do on a Sunday, is a pure delight. Evil okay. Yeah, he gets that. Um, and then we have Pink Lithium. Hello. Who's currently spray painting um, uh, controllers at the moment. And her SNES controllers look wicked. So well done, buddy. We got Misha. We've got the OG subscriber, Stephen. And we've got a couple others. We've got Crowbar joining the party. We've got Pocket Ninja, who's been on a podcast already. Um, so I'm sure this podcast will break now we've mentioned her name. And we have friend of the podcast, fellow N64 collector, Bad Wolf himself, Neil Stewart. Welcome aboard. Ah, oh, lovely. Love a few shout outs. Let's go on to this podcast. Another battle for Jinjos. <laughs> between these two games. Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Some of you in the Power Region may have never played this game and I hope this inspires you to go and play it. And it will be playing off against this Marmite of a game. Hybrid heaven oh it's gonna be juicy it's gonna be juicy and i tell you what wait around to the end of the podcast because we're going straight into another battle for jinjos next time yeah and it's a doozy i can't wait it's gonna be a good one but indiana jones and the infernal machine versus hybrid heaven let's do this Here we go, another battle for Jinjos, and if you did not know the rules, if this is your first time listening to a battle for Jinjos, or you've taken a break and you can't blink and remember, don't you worry, Cliff is here to remind you of the rules. If you listen to every podcast, you're bored of me hearing me say this, I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's go into the rules. There are five Jinjos to collect. First one is based off of Storyline. Next one, gameplay. Next one, sound and graphics. Next one is what IGN thought of it, the IGN score for these games. And lastly, the most important is what you guys think. And if you didn't know already, usually a week before, I say usually a week before because this is now the second bloody podcast I've done where I've gone the day before. Ah, I forgot to do a poll. Um, <laughs> so usually the week before we do a little poll and whoever wins that poll will win the last Jinjo. Whoever wins overall wins and they go into the pot with the other winners. Don't know what I'm going to do with that pot yet. We've got a few years of this yet. So, and we've got a few games to go through. So let's start off 
with Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Now, released in North America on December 14th, 2000. It's a weird release. Uh, I don't know if this will come up anywhere else on our timeline during this, but it's a strange old release because it wasn't released just out to the general public. It was available in North America on rental uh, through Blockbuster, and um, sources tell me it's a, it was available on Blockbuster.com and LucasArts website. So early 2000, you know, it's, it's, it's the days of Amazon already because <laughs> most of us purchase our games online nowadays. So it was really just 21 years ahead of its time. <laughs> but it's a strange old game because... Yeah, it was only available on uh, rental. I can't ever find a reason why. I, I think the best reason why I can find is because it was coming towards the end of the console's lifespan. But th there were other games that came out after this um, and other LucasArts games that came out after this. So it was it's a weird one for me of why it's happened and it, it was a pc port um we'll go into exactly why it wasn't exactly a pc port but it was a pc port of the game that came out uh a year before on um yeah on on the old uh, clickety buttons um it was published by lucas arts uh obviously developed by factor five a team that would go on to create and had created already some great games they built a lovely little relationship and not just that, they understood how this console worked. They really did. The two of them working together really had a feel for how this console worked. Um, the game um, ha had a boost from its uh, PC counterpart. So it, it was... It, if you look at the game itself, we'll go into it when we go into uh, very much the feel of the game. But also how they took on board... Um, how the PC one failed. Um, we'll be talking a lot about camera angles. And they took a lot of influence behind that when porting it across to the console from uh, Ocarina of Time. And actually, the whole game does feel, even though we will say that there's resemblances to PlayStation games in a moment, it, it does feel very Ocarina of Time with the challenges, with the puzzles, um, it, it's with even the C buttons uh, where you select items. It, it, it does feel very Ocarina of Time. Um, and it, we say that we're going to make a fair few comparisons back to the console's biggest competitor. And that was the PlayStation. Now, I've already said this on this podcast before, where Nintendo were very much stuck in their ways of that they wanted to produce family-friendly content. And they, they were starting towards the 2000s, uh, maybe even late 90s, to sort of realise that they're going to have to get more adult content. These aren't just things that kids want to play with. These are things that, you know, teenagers. And we, we all know what was happening at the end of sort of 1999 to the early noughties with trash telly with attitude era wwf and uh, the monday night wars between wwf and wcw it, it, the world was turning a point it was very much the, the nintendo had to change with the times and as we get to these later 
games, you, you will notice there's more of an adult feel. And we've already covered some of them as well. But as I said, you know, I, I think that if we go into the actual storyline of this, it's, it's very cinematic. And good, well done, LucasArts. They made a game that felt like an Indiana Jones movie. So let's go on to the storyline. So we start in 1946, after the Second World War. Now, when developing this game, they decided that there had been too many games based around battling Nazis, battling Nazi Germany. Um, And they decided to switch this up and make it actually more that you were going to battle against the Soviet Union and, you know, progress indie to that sort of latter you know to the next part of his story um which i really enjoyed so you start in north america you start on a dig site so indie after the war seems seemingly just gone back to his day job um the game begins when the cia led by indiana jones old friend sophia hapgood brings him alarming evidence that a soviet psychist um well here we go <laughs> Gennady Volodinkov 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 Gennady Volodinkov has been searching the site of the Tower of Babel so the ancient Babylonians the Soviets are looking for evidence of an ancient machine that can open the door to a parallel dimension called Ethereum. Volodinkov and his communist henchmen are anxiously trying to resemble the machine, but need to find several critical parts to get it working. The missing parts scattered throughout the far corners of the globe are the targets of Indy's quest. So to give you a bit more backstory on this, um, so it's saying that the Babylonians figured out that there was parallel universes and there were gods in these parallel universes and there was an evil god that basically ordered the construction of the infernal machine so it starts off the level um after you sort of had your tutorial and indy gets past one of the mechanisms to this and it's it's like you know something steampunky you know it's 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 almost victorian in it how the gears and the clogs so he doesn't even believe it's babylonian um, but what's happened is, is that there were f- there were four priests that realised that this this machine will have extreme doomsday esque consequences. So they scattered the parts of this uh, machine throughout, and basically, Indy's got to get there first. Indy's got to get there before the Soviets. So th- this game, you know, we we could go into the whole story, but I'm hoping. Now, the reason why I haven't gotten full depth into the story is I'm really hoping that this podcast inspires some of you to even get it on a, to get it on emulation is the best way uh, through an EverDrive or through Project Reality because I mean this this is is such a solid storyline for an N64 game and it feels cinematic and Spielberg was involved and. When they originally went to Spielberg and said what their story was going to be, it involved aliens. And Spielberg went, hold fire on that. I've got an idea for it later. 
Crystal Skull even being thought of in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, do you know what, as well? You, you've got some lovely cutscenes in this that progress the movie um, as well. So you're going from these... We'll go into it in gameplay, but you're going very much from these puzzles and these... Uh, the, the normal gameplay to these lovely little cutscenes. They're not too over the top, but they just keep that storyline going. But the major thing is, is it feels cinematic. It feels like you are playing a movie. And it, I mean, I've put 20 hours into this game. I still haven't completed it. I mean, it's it's not an easy game. We'll go into that in a minute. Um, it's it's a real challenge, but at the same time, it's gripping. And that storyline has that comeback ability. Now, I'm sorry if you think to yourself, Cliff, why are you not telling us the full story? But I'm really hoping, because this game didn't have a release in Europe, and we'll go into that later. I'm hoping this makes you, well, some of you go and decide to pick it up, because it is great. So let's go on to... As I called it earlier, the Marmite of these two games, which is Hybrid Heaven, released in Japan on August 5th, 1999, North America on August 31st, 1999, and Europe on September 24th, 1999. It was a Konami N64 exclusive. And this is where we go back to that PlayStation and this game was fundamentally its answer to Metal Gear Solid. Now, there are rumours, and I haven't found anything concrete in this, um, that early early demos of the game, I'm, I'm not quite sure, are indicating that it actually had Solid Snake as the main protagonist. And it was Solid Snake that was searching underground and trying to you know break the the, the, the do the general storyline that you get in this game without uh, i suppose less of the confusing nature of the first seven minutes and we'll we'll go into that in two seconds time but i i mean that it's it's it, it would have had they're saying more of that action and stealth um, that you saw in the Metal Gear Solid games. Um, and even though he's not credited, it's got Kojima's fingerprints all over this. And no better way of showing you that than the, the storyline itself. So, ready? Hold on. Hold on tight, because we're going down the rabbit hole with this one. So players assume the role of Mr. Diaz, a synthetic human hybrid created by aliens. In the game's introduction, he turns on his master when he kills a synthetic human intended to replace the president's bodyguard, Johnny Slater. Are you keeping up? Right. We've got Diaz and we've got Slater. Okay. So write that down. I'll give you a second brilliant uh Diaz finds himself in a massive underground installation created by the aliens under manhattan as the game progresses it is revealed that the player is actually assuming the role of slater who has disguised himself as diaz by the gungard okay okay right so right so 
You're not Diaz. Right, get your pen. Scrap it. Do you know it says Diaz? Does, under, scrap that out. You're not Diaz anymore. You're Johnny Slater, okay? So you're Johnny Slater. Gargantuans as well. So the Gargantuans are an alien race around three, uh, around three feet tall who... Hang on. They could... Wait, wait, wait. They're called the Gargantuans. And they're how big? Three foot tall. They're three foot tall. Did somebody not tell them what the word gargantuan means? Gargantuan means that they're huge. Oh, gargantuans. That makes more sense. Okay. That makes a bit more sense. Apart from... I'm going to stick with gargantuans. Just because it adds more comic effect <laughs> after being betrayed by a member of their species who awoke from hypersleep hyper and plotted to the ship to earth are forced to help said traitor with the genetic experiments the air the alien creates clones and hybrids a genetic mix of human and gargantuan dna resulting in extra powerful creatures and intends to conquer the Earth through replace, uh, replacement of its leaders, beginning with the United States. Because, of course, it has to begin with the United States. To be honest, this might explain the reason why we've had the political landscape we've had for a while. Maybe hybrid heaven predicted the future. Someone get under Manhattan. Anyway... <laughs> A few gargantuans have escaped the traitor and conduct an underground resistance in the woodwork. In the woodwork. They're underground, I'm sure it's all metal, but hey -o. Uh They found Johnny after he had been cloned and disguised uh, disguised him as disguised him as Diaz, who they who they incapacitated and kept unconscious. Johnny regains his memories which were blocked while he was disguised. Of course they were. Uh, the players then must travel even further down the bunker in the hopes of stopping the aliens from replacing the president and by request of the gargantuans who are three foot tall not letting this go uh, to defeat the traitor. Johnny's personal motive to help him stay focused is that he must take make it back to, in time to meet his girlfriend under the Christmas tree on the White House lawn. Wait, that that's his main motive? I'm sure she's a lovely girl and you see her in the opening scenes when she thinks that Johnny's been shot, but it's not, it's a clone. So... What, she's not going to go meet him there if she thinks that Johnny's already dead, surely. She saw him die in the tube station. Why is she going to be there? Unless she's just there for, you know, feeling sad. Story! <laughs> Enemies include clones, unremarkable uh, creations... Uh, created mainly for their uh, menial labor agents resemble uh, the public uh, the public perception of a secret service men in black suits with sunglasses mutants uh, genetic experiment experiments uh, that resulted in various creatures robots 
mostly humanoids, but uh, some were straight out of mech um, and hybrids. Uh, one hybrid created to replace the se- the security of defense or possibly state... Hang on a minute. Is this the state of the... Okay, we'll let that one go. Uh, is Johnny's antagonist for much of the game before a final showdown wherein the alien creature explains most of the plot. If you're confused... Now, this is where this game... This game... As I said, it had Kojima's fingerprints all over this. And if we're looking at this game itself, it took itself a bit too seriously. You know, if you look at what uh, Konami were making with Nintendo at the time and with Sony, they were two completely different products. You know, you had uh, for the N64, you had the iOS, uh, ISS games, so the International Superstar Soccer games. You had Castlevania. You had Mystical Ninja. And then for Sony, they were doing the Silent Hill games and the Metal Gear games. So you, you can see that very much this wanted to be that feel of that... <laughs> storyline that you would get in a Silent Hill or you would get in a Metal Gear Solid. The problem is, and we'll come to this in your comments, that for the first seven minutes of this game, it's a slog because you get so confused of what the flipping heck is happening to the point of Johnny Slater just walking, answering the door, start bollock naked at the beginning, um, to then him going down to the tube station, getting killed, disappearing like in a ball of light that you haven't been explained that that's how the hybrids die or the, the clones die. when they, Or when they die, they go up in like a big force light up into the sky. You know, and then you've got Diaz, who it's not been explained who Diaz is, so it doesn't really have any context of when you're going, being dragged down to the sub uh, subterranean base of exactly what's happening. So you have the good old first seven minutes to even, I would say, the first couple of hours until you meet the first Gargantuan who then tells you a lot of the subplot. You, you're sort of just there. It's a bit weird, but at the same time, when that story does get rolling, it's actually quite intriguing. So I completed this game back 20 years ago on release. Um, I I completed it on release, uh, however many years ago that was. Um, So not 20 just yet. Um, And I, I, I sort of just stuck with it. And the reason why I stuck with it at the time we'll go into gameplay at the moment it wasn't the gameplay it wasn't the exploration it was more i want to know how this story ends and it's this weird like confused intrigue i would say the best way to describe it was this really weird confused intrigue and we go on to what wins for storyline now it's a hard one like every single one of these I have changed about four times because I've had moments where I've gone, no, I'm annoyed at this. No, I'm annoyed at that. I know me being annoyed at this podcast, who would have funked it? Um, But 
I do love Indiana Jones, and I said I'm still completing it now. I'm I'm about three quarters of the way through. I I I enjoy Indiana Jones's story. Uh, there is that comeback ability, um, but weirdly, Hybrid Heaven storyline in a really weird way is really intriguing, and it's a bit back Hi. crazy. So, do you know what? I'm going for it. <laughs> Even though Indiana Jones is a cinematic beauty, I'm going to give a storyline just for being completely out there to hybrid heaven. I can hear some of you now screaming, oh, shut up, Cliff. I, do you know what? I, I completed that game back you know, in the early noughties. I would say it was more early noughties than on release. I must have picked it up in a bargain bin somewhere. And I, the storyline's what kept it going for me. It's, as I said, it's a bit bloody weird. It's a bit out there. But I really enjoyed it. And guess what? It's my podcast. Don't care what you Um... <laughs> oh dear but it was close i mean it it was very very close and it was it took about four times of changing my mind to go no i'm sticking with this so that storyline over with (laughs) it's now time to talk about gameplay so 1-0 1-0 hybrid heaven. Who thought we would have been in this situation? <laughs> I love that storyline. It's so bonkers. Anyway, so let's go on to gameplay. And let's start with Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. So you've got 17 levels uh, sort of based around North America, Central America, South America, the Middle East, uh, North Africa. You go all over the place, as you expect. And there's a real difference in these levels as well. So it's not that they're all a little carbon copy of one another. And that's what I loved about this. One minute you're in the Babylonian deserts. Next minute you're in the snowy mountains. And it really mixes up that sort of difference in the levels, which I really enjoyed and I still am enjoying. Um, so to get, to go through the gameplay, you could easily think to yourself that this will just be a... A Mission Impossible S game, or you could then think to yourself, actually, no, it's going to be more of a first person, or sorry, third person shooter. Um, it isn't. It's, and as I said before, it's very influenced behind the Zelda franchise. You can tell that. Um, not only in the way that the puzzles are, because the best way of describing this game would be a sort of puzzle action platformer. Um, it, it's that element of you've got the platform elements, you've got the shooting elements, uh, they, but they're, they're very cleverly put in there to sort of break up the puzzles. Um, you've got shooting, like, you know, in the shooting levels, you've got, you know, from shooting bloody jaguars to snakes to to Soviets, you know, you, it, it adds that sort of difference in your area and where you actually are of what you have to battle against. And it's a real mashup between Zelda, Tomb Raider, 
and even that OG PC version. Um, there, there was massive improvements. Now, I've never played the PC version, but they're saying there's massive improvements to the cameras. And that was one of the things that it was critiqued for first time around was its camera angles. It was that the camera would shift and it would get stuck behind, that the buttons were really hard to produce. So actually, when it, when you're playing it on the N64, and we, we talk about that controller sometimes. We, we do. We moan about it or we praise it. This is praising it. Um, the OG controller setup is actually very well built for this game. That you've got the element that you can add items onto your C buttons, um, and those items can stretch anything from your weapons to your whips to your to lighters to see where you are to different uh, functionality in the way of the puzzles, you know, putting places in pieces in place. Um, you've got so much different health kits. You know, there's so many bits that you can put onto those C buttons. Um, and it was almost built for that that element of the controller um also we, we were saying about the whole thing of these uh the targeting and the camera angle so you, they very much went off of for, from ocarina time with this with the z targeting so hitting a z and targeting straight onto who you're meant to be shooting rather than fanny arsing around and sort of just shooting blindly as you would do in a mission impossible for instance um and that that's I really liked that element. It made it a lot easier. Um, there's nice little prompts of what you're meant to do and when you're meant to use the items. Um, you know, you've got the... And it teaches you in that first level how to do so. Um, you... It's, you know, because you've got... You've got also buttons on there that are prompting you when to hang, which can help you in your journey and when to... You know, to, when to climb and bits and bobs like that. So that does help. And they said that that wasn't available on the PC version. Um, so that very much helped you in your gameplay. Um, it's it's it, it's still that element of with this game is a puzzle game. So you expect a moment of where the hell am I? What the hell am I doing? You expect that. It's a puzzle game. Puzzle games aren't for everybody. But you do have that element every so often of where the hell am I? What the hell am I doing? Where am I going next? Um, where would I say it swings? I think it's on the same level as Ocarina of Time. But I would say that for me, obviously, I don't get the same feeling of that anymore. But I, I, it's very much that feeling that I had as a kid playing Ocarina of Time for the first time around. Or when I've seen... Other people have uh, run-throughs on Ocarina of Time. I very much see that. And I do. I have moments of, where the hell am I? Um, and I haven't got my school friends in the playground to give me any form of hints. And uh, I've had to, on occasion with this game, just quickly jump on YouTube and go, right, I, I have spent 30 minutes looking around. I am officially stuck. Um... But that, that's it. it I, I've got to admit, I, I did cheat a bit because I wanted to get through a majority of this game before I could actually say that I was ready to review it. And I had to occasionally, as I said, jump on the old YouTube. Now, one thing is the Z targeting is awesome. Don't get me wrong, Z targeting is awesome. But one thing I will say is the AI in this is bobbins. Absolute tripe. Um, in the way of that 
they just just they don't even take cover the soldiers don't take cover the animals just seem to charge you it's not the most intelligent ai on this console i i think that was the major gripe that i had with it actually is it we, we'll bring it up again mission impossible because that could have easily been a candidate to go against this um mission impossible-esque you know just stand there and take it there's no there's no tactic to the ai of okay i've got to run for cover i've got to think sneaky sneaky it's just the case of that it go it just stands there and goes yeah i'm gonna take the hits then aren't i um and but there, there is an element with this game as i said you you've got those short shooty bits but it does mix it up and it does mix it up quite nicely between the challenges the sort of the puzzles um then you've got sort of different gameplay bits and bobs to it that you've got the rafts uh going down the rapids which is really really fun that but at the same time frustrating when you hit a side and it starts to deflate and you're like oh for not again um you've got the jeeps that will take you from stage to part stage to part of the stage which adds that lovely cinematic feel to it you know that intense uh, moments to that game uh to the game um and then you've got um the little mine cart areas which are brilliant it makes you feel those minecart areas alone make you feel like you're in an indiana jones they're brilliant they're absolutely brilliant but each of these levels ends with a huge puzzle that you have to uh, sort of crack um now I, I would just say one last thing on the gameplay for this game and it was just because it copied so much from ocarina of time i just I heard a reviewer say this. This isn't, wasn't from my points of view. I, I li watch reviewers back. I watch Glenn Pollan. I watch other reviewers back just to see if my notes I've missed anything. And he brought up a great point that I thought, yeah, I have been tearing out my hair the last 20 hours playing this bloody game of exactly this. No auto jump feature. Um, I think that if they had completely copied it they they just with the jump feature i think they were just thinking too much into the jump feature um and it's really awkward with the jump feature not too much if you have a long jump it's when you have those short little niggly jumps in this game oh my giddy aunt the game hates you it doesn't like you doesn't like you doesn't like what you stand for doesn't like your friends it doesn't like you and you just keep falling to your death every time and there's certain parts of this game where you will be trying to do one poxy little jump about several times <laughs> so do not expect a game that is gonna hold your hand through the gameplay it's challenging but to turn around and say that the AI, which there's a plenty of games in this generation that the AI isn't fantastic, and the jumping, uh, there are plenty of games where the jumping isn't great uh, in 3D platformers. They are still learning at this point. To say that they're the two only gropes, I think that the gameplay really stands out and yet again feels like an Indiana Jones game. 
it feels like you're in an Indiana Jones movie. It's great. But let's go on to Hybrid Heaven. A completely different game because we just had Tomb Raider. Let's go on to Metal Gear Solid slash uh, some uh, Japanese RPG. Let's say Final Fantasy. Let's let's say Final Fantasy. So it's it's different in the way of that you with these when you've got uh, Indiana Jones, you've got those seventeen levels. There's definitely an end to it. Move on to the next level. Men to it. Move on to the next level. Hybrid uh, Heaven definitely has a different feel to that that you've got these levels that you can explore i I think there's sort of 12 different zones to there you're sort of exploring this vast underground base oh sorry nine areas nine areas i correct myself it was in my notes um nine areas and but it feels like you're there's there's a continuation it doesn't feel like oh well I'm moving on now to the next area. It feels like you are in this massive empty world. And that's one critique. This massive empty world. And you're just going from area to area to area. Um, It has a similar playing style to Indy in a way. With being able to crouch, sort of crawl under things. To jump across things. To sort of try and figure out what platform you need to get to, you know, so there is that element of being a platformer, to collecting key cards to go through to different zones, um, to really start trying to be that puzzle game alongside that Japanese RPG mechanics. Um, you know, and it does, it does feel very much like a Japanese RPG. But where it differs from normal Japanese RPGs is the fights now when you come to the fights itself you know in traditional japanese rpg it's a turn-based attack or defense uh mechanism usually with a team this is individual but it's real time so with this you can move around you get a little squared off area (laughs) that looks very similar every time you're in a fight Uh, you've got these little squared off areas when you do come into enemy contact uh it is the element of that it will take you from that normal gameplay to this is fight time um (laughs) you end up you know running around the areas you can strike you can weaken parts of the enemy's body from arms to legs to body um doing uh different types of moves so you've got punches kicks throws in there you can block you can fire guns in uh, you know you get pick up items that you can fire disposable guns uh to weaken your enemy uh, as well as performing wrestling moves because as we already said this is at the height of when wrestling was popular and you can perform power bombs uh argentine brack backbreakers uh i think even you know there's all sorts in there Um, to suplexes to you know that there's so much in there as well as submissions um (laughs) i mean it very much went off on that element of being a game from that period where wrestling was the hottest hottest one of the hottest properties out there um, as well as when you're when you're coming to that element of that you're building up your character and you're fighting these, if you're continuously using a right punch, you will build up your uh, strength with your right punches, your left punches, your kicks, 
So you have to think a bit tactically of what you're going to use for what. So if it's a low kick or a high kick, right, what's going to... What is going to be my attack to hurt someone's uh, body? What's going to be my attack to hurt someone's legs? What's going to be my attack to really uh, damage someone's body? So you do have to think about this. And by the end of the game, if you think of it clever and you are not just randomly selecting uh, moves to do, you do end up with a full sort of set of uh, moves that you are able to go into it. Now... The major problem with this is, is that you sort of fight off. There's loads of things you fight off against. We've already listed, like, from clones to uh, to the hybrid creations that, like, pig-like, uh, some form of dinosaur, some form of gorilla, some form of weird monster with that looks almost flowerish to a weird thing that looks like a ninja with stones i mean i mean like there's so many different types of fighters that you have and they all have their different styles so you learn okay i'm facing off against this baddie this baddie will just punch me i'm facing off against this baddie this baddie is just one on one to grapple me um so there is an element of that but the major problem with this is is that you're going from that sort of puzzle movement to these battles and this could be a really vague point because you could say this about any Japanese RPG it gets repetitive and I, I don't know if I could say that that was a drawback now because I'm generally thinking going well that you could say that about Pokemon you could say that about any you could say that about final fantasy you could say that about a quest 64 which we will come on to in the future you could say that about ogre battle you could there's so many rpgs out there that you could turn around and say well it's turn-based it just gets a bit repetitive so i don't know if that's an unfair critique of the game Hmm, but it does well, let's go on to my experiences with the game because I remember playing back and sometimes you would walk into a room and as I said, the major thing is with this is the storyline progresses it. So there are elements of when you do face off against these repetitive battles that you do just want to get through it to get to the story or get to the cool bits like where you're being chased by the massive black alien that is is very xenomorph on steroids and it's just sort of chasing you for the level which is still my favorite part um thank you very much for uh glenn plant for reminding me of that because i haven't got there in the game since having to run through again i was oh my god i bloody love this part um yeah so you get to those sort of very differing parts or the very interesting sides of the storyline of those hybrids those clones that are that are almost going rebel to you having to try and stop certain different sects of these and stop the sort of defense secretary or the secretary of state it doesn't really make it very clear um you're trying to stop him getting into power so you, that's that's what drives you to play this game so i think that the major critique is is that the gameplay is not as strong as the storyline um even though it's confusing as hell um so that's what makes it turn into a bit of a slog because you do you i mean 
like you have to be a certain distance away and when you go into a room and sometimes you know because there's weird moss on the floor or there's some sort of form of indication that there'll be something in that room where you're looking at the ceiling you can sort of see the bugger hanging off of the ceiling or you can see sort of mossy areas where you know that something's going to be coming or you can hear its footsteps as it gets closer you know and you end up if you know it's in the room you end up trying to sort of run from one door to the other and because there is elements that you've got the save points which are also where you regain health um it's a hard one because i would say that the storyline destroys the gameplay because i i just wanted to get sometimes just get through that room and i didn't want to face off against the person in there i know that sounds weird that you don't want to actually play the game but it did it did have that feel and also actually you're looking at the game itself it's not it's not an rpg that you're going to pick up an absolute slog through this is a game that you can easily get completed so if you haven't ever completed it you don't want a japanese rpg that you're gonna have to sink 80 hours into this is the one i mean like there's not really much in the way of side quests it's it's just pure that's your storyline go down it now, there's, there are other elements with the um, gameplay that do can and will frustrate me. Um, with the shooting mechanics, the gun, we'll come into the sound of the gun in a minute, but it, it's a bit pointless when you've got the robots going around, like these security robots. You've got weird mouse droids that sort of just blow up on the floor. You've got the sort of floaty ones that if you shoot them, they react. Uh, if you not, you've got boxes that seem to just be in your way and you have to shoot the box out the way. Um, that mechanic was a bit out of place for me um, in a game set in the future, a couple years in the future from the release. But yeah, um, it's a hard one. It's a hard one because I do enjoy the mechanics of the game, but they're repetitive. And I don't say that about Pokemon. I could go back to Pokemon every time. Hmm. Gameplay. Here we go. I, I almost changed my mind again there. I don't know if you heard it in my tone of voice. But even though the jumpy mechanics are absolute cack, gameplay has to go Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. I I mean, it mixes it up. You know, you've got those... And if you love a puzzle game, it's like... I mean, if you've completed the Zeldas, if if you are really stuck for a game that you go, I haven't ever... I need something new to sink my teeth into. You're a fan of this, which I'm assuming you are, because you're still stuck around for all this podcast... That was a bit waffly, sorry. Um, This is a game to sink your teeth into. This is the game to go and pick it out. There's a reason why I did not go into the full storyline of this game. That's because I'm really hoping this makes some of you pick up this game on emulation. Uh, If you're that bonkers to try and buy it outright, good luck to you. Um, (laughs) But this is a LucasArts game. This is a Konami game. So let's go on to sound because sound's really important with both of those bloody uh those uh developers and graphics see who comes out on top it's one all ladies and gentlemen it's one all 
So one all. Oh, one all. I don't plan it. Stop it. Don't plan it at all. Um, let's go on to this because we're gonna have one of those repeated things. Don't worry, no 64DD today. We're not talking about 64DD. But we go on to first of all cart size. Now we're gonna get this out of the way and done with because at the time that what they were both using two very large memory sizes of the cart. So Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine was using a 32 meg cart, and then the Hybrid Heaven was 16 meg cart. So this meant that they were actually able to get all of this info that they needed on it, which helps out with obviously the amount of sound you have on it. It helps out with what you can do with those graphics and the detail that you can put onto these carts. And both of them used the expansion pack. So let's go on to, first of all, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Now, it goes without saying, all of you, I'd imagine, have played Rogue Squadron. Or at least seen even me play Rogue Squadron. Or one of your friends play Rogue Squadron. Or if you're lucky enough to own it, uh, Battle for Naboo. Or if you've seen someone play but Battle for Naboo. I have once on the stream. Um, but they, I think LucasArts and Factor 5, they were fantastic. Absolutely brilliant of making these games look polished. And it gave, uh, so the expansion pack gave 4 megabyte more RAM um to uh indiana jones and the infernal machine and th they were trained pros with this absolute trained pros but the graphics actually when you play uh indiana jones and the infernal machine it doesn't it doesn't have the same texture as let's say an ocarina of time where you know you've got those sort of blurred edges edges it's very polygonal is that even a word uh, anyway but it's very straight edges and it actually reminds me more of a playstation game we've already said the comparisons between indiana jones and the infernal machine to a tomb raider um but it it, it has that feel to it and the graphics it, it it doesn't feel like an n64 game it's really odd which is i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that's a bad thing it actually makes this stand out and it makes it so it looks so, so, so polished. And there's, there's certain areas of the game where you sort of notice this. If that's in the temples and the detail, the level of detail gone into every single one of those temples. To when you're out in the mountains, the snow falling, to the mechanical gears spinning, to... Oh, it's really good. It's really well done. And it is a beautiful game. And the great thing is... and. This, this this sometimes is the problem with the expansion pack, wait for Hybrid Heaven, is there's no drop in frame rate. There's no... I, I didn't notice. I, I've gone on high res. Um, it has no real drop in the frame rate whatsoever. And I've gone back and looked at videos of the PC version, and it looks so much more polished. How many times do can we say that... A console game looks more polished than its uh, than its uh, PC counterpart. It looks really good. It looks really good, and it looks really oh, it looks beautiful. Like the textures, 
to the rafts to it sort of blowing up and like this is simple thing of it you just go boom boom and just appearing i mean it's really satisfying to indy when he's underwater and he he ha his hat goes off and when he comes back up he puts back on his hat i mean it's just there's certain little elements to this that were really well thought out it was so well thought out to the point of and we'll make this at the end it if only if only this had been a worldwide release i mean that if only this had been a worldwide release or came out a little bit earlier a year earlier if this had come out a year earlier this could be known as one of the greats this could be spoken about like rogue squadron like you know it, it, you know you the amount of people that don't even know battle for naboo exists and we will come down to that down the line in this podcast you know but that is such a well-polished beautiful game and the same goes for indiana jones and the infernal machines now sound now i don't know if i've got a weird version of this now there are some beautiful pieces of music in this there are and some really good pieces of music throughout this game but sometimes there's nothing uh, in the way of music and there's some beautiful scores in there don't don't get me wrong but everyone that i was reading the reviews i was going uh, i don't get it i'll be honest i was like they're beautiful scores but i actually felt that it was a very empty world in the way of music um there were parts where i was like oh well if i play this on the stream i'm gonna maybe have to get some bed music down there it, I mean, like, the sounds, like, the every... You can hear drops of water. You can... Every sound, every shot feels, you know, important to the point of the sound effects with the light, uh, the, when you, you're sparking up your lighter. And, it, I mean, there's some really nice sound effects in this game. But the music itself, I just thought that it was just a bit empty. And... One thing that I did really, really like, and we, we've spoken about cart size until the cows come home. I'm sorry, we're going to talk about it again. Um, you didn't get a lot of games with a lot of uh, narration in there, but this is brilliant. I mean, there's tons of narration. Like... Indy is not out Harrison Ford. Look, he's not going to come and do this ruddy game. Don't give me that criticism. Harrison Ford, the bloke that wanted to kill Han Solo off, <laughs> he is not in Return of the Jedi. He is not coming to do this little game. He's not going to. He's not going to. And to be honest, after a time, you get pretty used to it. I, I didn't see a massive problem with it, but the narration in it is brilliant. The narration really helps not just the storyline but the whole feel of the game going through so they did an awesome job with that now one thing they also did a really really good job with was the lighting so you've got areas where you have to use your lighter or that you have to sort of i mean like the the areas where when you're in a temple and you've got a ray of light hitting the water it's it's such a stunning game on that basis 
Um, so, yeah, I think that this game really stands out. And if it only, if only it had come out a bloody year before, I think that we'll be talking about this game being, uh, it'd be more spoken about. It would be more, more spoken about how beautiful it was and how the textures, the, you know, how defined it was. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It is defined. It's it's beautiful. I really, really, really like this. I don't know if you've gathered this now, but I think the how it looks is just absolutely stunning. And another reason why at this time, LucasArts could do no bloody wrong. So let's go on to Hybrid Heaven. Now, as I said, it uses the expansion pack as well. But uh, I would say not as well. And I think this is, I, I'm glad I've got confirmation bias from other places, <laughs> but it's slow. When you have it in high res mode, you've got like full screen mode and widescreen mode in there as well. Oh my giddy aunt, it lags. It lags a treat. I mean like, to the point of where you just want to throw the bloody car out the window. Um, so I put it on I put it on standard res mode. Um, and it worked a treat. And I didn't really notice. A, it, it lost some of the detail. But not enough for you to turn around and say. Oh well it's unplayable in uh, without the expansion pack. I would say actually it's quite the opposite. It's unplayable without with that bloody expansion pack but as i said i think that it still looks polished enough without that expansion pack and that it's got loads of cutscenes in it some really good dialogue as well there's certain bits that aren't dialogued but the important bits are you know when when there is a bit that is dialogued it's almost like you start listening <laughs> <laughs> and you start reading a bit more it's not mr diaz what are you doing no 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 when when it's like let's say when you're running away from that big gargantuan uh monster and you the, the weird rocky horror looking-esque uh scientist that is testing out this creature i i mean it's it, it there's certain parts in the story that just feel important with that narrative and they do a very very good job doing it and the voice acting for both of these games this is just one or the other is not bad it's not awful N neither are awful we're not talking like as i've said on plenty of stream when i'm playing lilac wars slash uh star fox 64 that the 3ds version the narrative in that is just so different I mean, it's it's almost like they couldn't be asked. Um, <laughs> but in these two games, it's not terrible. There's no, there's some moments where you're like, uh, but it's a computer game. I think that if you've ever picked up a computer game, there's very few out there that are able to nail it a hundred percent. I would even say, oh, maybe even like the Fable games or the Mass Effect games are the only ones that I would say I really struggle to find one piece of uh, a piece of voice acting that's terrible in them. Um, you know, so it's not bad. It's not bad 
at all. Either game. Uh, which is great. It's always nice to know. Um, and the cameras, we go back onto the camera uh, itself. Um, so th this should have really been brought up in gameplay. I don't know why I put the note here. Uh, but I will say it because I don't want to miss it out. But the camera's really solid. You, neither of these two games, you do get areas where your camera will get fixed. You do get a bit of it, but nothing that you're not expecting of this type of... Uh, what did I call it? It's a uh, so puzzle action platformer slash RPG with uh, Hybrid Heaven. Um, it, it, you don't ever get a moment where the camera pierces you off. Um, now, music, I will say that this music is good. It's really good in this game. It understands when to build tension. It understands... Like, it, it's really good. I mean, Konami, little clap for you. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I really enjoyed this, uh, the, the, the music in this game. Even going back now, and when you get to those latter levels, it becomes a bit more serious, a bit more darker. You know, it's so clever. Really, really clever. And it really nicely builds to that climax um th in the game uh, itself and i think like yeah again no spoilers um i think it really lovely builds to that climax in the game now the sounds themselves um when you're in the fighting or let's say it, i love the sound when you when you regain your health in the save points that's a really good uh to the point of every hit feels powerful uh to when you haven't got your power meter up enough that it sounds a bit soft um the only criticism i have of any of the sound effects are the guns and that's your silly little pew, 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 to kill the boxes or the droids that sounds honestly like a hairdryer. It's terrible. Um, they really gave up with that. And even some of the laser guns, fire guns, things on those lines. It, it just feels like they that was an afterthought um, to the combat, to the music. I think that with Hybrid Heaven, that is very much an afterthought to that. And this comes down to which one wins the Jinjo. And it's really hard. I mean, yet again, like with Storyline, I have flipped about so much with this. Um, and it's still really hard. Oh, you'll actually hear me live contemplate this. Right. Just pure, pure, the down, the pure fact. And I think Hybrid Heaven definitely has it on music. Um, but just down to how beautiful the game is, how stunning it is, how LucasArts and Factor 5 cannot do anything wrong at this period of making a stunning game. And maybe I have got this on a weird setting that I didn't get as much music, maybe. Um... I'm going to give the Jinjo to Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. That was hard. That was actually really hard. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't particularly like uh, Hybrid Heaven. But the music is really good. Um, and I would 
definitely say to pick it up and put it on again. Get through those that first hour. Once you get past that first hour, you'll be fine. I promise. I pinky promise. You'll be fine after the first hour. But let's see what IGN thought of these two games. And more importantly, what you thought. So here we go. Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Let's start off here. Um, we'll start off before we go into IGN's review of talking about, obviously, it was only decided that it was going to be a blockbuster release and that you could only purchase it through uh, LucasArts or uh, Blockbuster themselves um, and did not get a European release. So it was scheduled to have a European release. Not a Japanese release, but it was scheduled to have one. And it was sort of thrown about a bit. Um, it was originally going to be developed by um, uh, by EA Games. Um, and then was passed to THQ as well. But was eventually cancelled late uh, late 2001. Because at that time, it was, it was GameCube time. Uh, almost. Um, so I think they decided not to in the end. But the thing was, was this was appearing on the official N64 magazine. the Sorry, uh, Nintendo magazine. Um, and it was appearing in N64 magazine, combining the two there. Um, and, tw uh, well, I must have been about... So I would have been coming up to 14 years old. And I was reading these reviews. And everywhere was saying that this was going to be the N64's answer to Tomb Raider. And it was giving me pure shots. And there is a PAL ROM out there. It was made. It was there. And I think um, uh, uh, Glenn Plant, again, he says in his review, as I said, I used them as like a little bit of a, did I miss anything? Or did I disagree with anything? Um, and he says that he played through on the PAL version. I'm playing through on the American version. And he said that the, there was no difference between the two. And maybe it'd be interesting if once I've completed the first run, maybe I will get the PAL version just to compare and just see if I can see any difference between the two. Because it sounds like it was there. It was ready. And it's such a shame. Like... I remember reading these reviews and I'm a I'm an Indiana Jones fan, I'm a LucasArts fan, so I was excited for this. And we just never got it. And then you know, even looking at units sold, I can't tell you how many units sold. Because guess what? It it we can't tell how many units sold. Because it's not the same yeah, I mean even the N sixty four anthology can't tell me. How many units sold of this? Which is odd. It's a really odd decision. And I think, yet again, if it had come out a year earlier, maybe this decision wouldn't have been made. And the reviews were really good at the game. It's not like it was a terrible game and no one wanted it. The reviews were solid. So let's go on to IGN's review of Indiana Jones. So Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine is the Tomb Raider that N64 owners never got. 
it's complex, sometimes downright difficult, uh, filled action adventure with beautiful visuals and fun storyline. Thankfully, the title is also much improved over its PC predecessor. LucasArts and Factor 5 have reworked the control scheme greatly so that it's much more intuitive and fitted towards console gaming. In addition, visuals are similar, similarly being enhanced to allow a better lighting and particle effect. Not to mention the spectacular degree of texture and detail for a 64-bit cart. But not everything is happy and swell. The controller scheme, while definitely uh, fixed in many ways, still bears some resemblance to its PC forefather. And because of it, that still is a cl- uh, still on the clunky side. Slow and very familiar to those who controlled Lara Croft in her countless adventures. This is a shortcoming that easily is easy, that's easily dealt with, though. And in fact, it's one of the ge- one that some gamers will have even grown to enjoy with the sales of Tomb Raider are in any indication. The bottom line is, is if you ever found yourself even remotely interested in Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones, or puzzle-solving adventure games, this is the best one N64 will ever get. And it's fine to have it in any library. Nab it before it's too late. Now, that's the major thing that I've had from people that, you know, obviously we've got a high British uh, listenership, um, but our second highest is North American. And our North American fans have uh, contacted me, and one has, which is Max Max Van Scott, who uh, I, I mentioned on the last podcast. Um, he actually sent me a story behind when he was after Indiana Jones. Uh, Max says, I remember seeing Indiana Jones listed in a cheat code magazine, and I wanted it more than any other N6, any other game for the N64. I was always hunting for games, but didn't see a single copy until I was in college in 2009. And that copy was in awful shape and had a huge blockbuster security label over the front, half peeled off. So I passed. I eventually got one in good shape, which I thought was very fitting for that the indie game took a 15-year search and turned out to be a hidden gem. Indie for, was a blockbuster exclusive, and at the time, I know people would rent rare games and keep them. Believe it or not, uh, NFL Quarterback Club 1998 and Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero will be coming onto that in uh, Project Reality Check. Uh down the line though uh, we're, were ones I re- actually remember Blockbuster telling me were as great as anything on the N64 maybe that is what happened to Indy since I never saw it and LucasArts was as solid as developers came at the time it was as solid as developers came at the time long story short as a kid in early 2000s I wanted this game and I wouldn't find, I couldn't find it. 
my dad and I were able to track down um, Mortal Kombat Mythologies and NFL Quarterback Club when they were sold out everywhere. But Indy was a long lost artifact. I love that that line. I saw what you did there. Hey, 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 it's an artifact. Hey, hey. But I, I think that's, you know, I think that this is the thing is that even in Europe, we, we had seen the reviews. We were all hyped for it. But at the same time, we weren't getting it. And it seems that even though it was released in North America, those people that wanted it still couldn't get it. So it's a real hidden gem. And it just still baffles me that it can have such a damn good review. Such a damn good review. And this quiet hype that got people wanting it. And it never came out. One game, though, that didn't have a quiet hype was Hybrid Heaven. It was hyped to the nines i mean it was it was seen as that cart that you wanted you wanted for this console and it flopped it didn't do well at all to the point of the konami actually started to give off 12 <laughs> 12 dollars off if you had purchased uh mystical ninja and there was another game as well um so it, it is that point of that it, it's really strange how this game had overhype and didn't set a sell, but there was a need and a want for Indiana Jones and there were none out there. So it is a strange old game because I think that when reviewers got it, um, I, I think that a lot of the reviewers shot it down. Um, we'll find out in a second what IGN thought, but a lot of these reviewers did shoot it down quite quickly. So let's go on to... What IGN thought of Hybrid Heaven, shall we? Hybrid Heaven really grew at me. At first, I was a little disappointed with the hoo-hum action and the exploration mode. But once I got into upgrading my character and learning new moves, I was hooked. If you're the type that easily gets bored with the turn-based battles... In many Japanese roleplay games like Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, then you you may want to stay away from this game. The action is not enough to carry it. But if you're a sucker for battle and training games, and you would like to see a game unlike any other on the N64, then Hybrid Heaven is definitely worth a look. Like most Konami games, Hybrid Heaven doesn't last last too long. So bear with bear that in mind if you decide on whether to buy or rent it. Now, I'd agree. I'd really really agree with that. Is that this game, as I said before, you got to give it time. You've got to give Hybrid Heaven time. It's not terrible. There's a reason why it's not on my list of awful games to play for this console. It's not perfect, but it's not terrible. It's got this uniqueness to this console that it's worth having in any collection. So, what were them scores? So, with a score of 8 out of 10 against a score of 7 out of 10 the winner 
for the fourth Jinjo. And ultimately, the winner of this battle for Jinjos is Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. But we won't we won't come onto the celebration yet. Because we've got the most important to go through now. And that's what you guys thought. So the last podcast we had, I had lots of comments. I mean lots. But maybe because people hadn't played Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. I think this is what swayed it. Because we, we were down massively on votes. So I think that maybe some people thought, well, I can't vote for one or the other because uh, I haven't played them both, which is understandable, uh, where a lot of people did play Earthworm Jim 3D. They did play Rayman 2, The Great Escape. They have played a lot of the games that we've spoken about in the past because we this is the most obscure title that we've done in the way that not many people owned it and i would say only if you're a massive collector and you it's on your radar did have you played it so the comments that i've actually received through for this are quite minimal so first of all we have friend of the podcast retro as or as we know him as simpson the oracle one of the oracles of the n64 and he said i imagine the result will be a bit skewed due to indies us only release and it was i've got to admit one game started to absolutely rocket <laughs> to say the least when i first put it out there one of the games went cantering ahead in the votes Let's go on to the next comment, which came from James Station 64 I've never played Indie and only played about 20 minutes of Hybrid, despite having it for years. I, I, I think, yeah, yeah, again, James Station 64 you need to pick it up again. Sink an hour into it, two hours into it, and I promise you'll... It depends what sort of games you like, but I, 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 I enjoy RPGs, so I'm I'm always going to be a bit of a sucker for them. But I think it's not the greatest RPG you'll ever play in your life. I'm not promising you that, but I think if you sink a few more hours into it, you will enjoy it. And you need, if you've already got an Ember Drive, my friend, you need to play Indiana Jones. You need to. You need to. I, I mean that because I would say that... 90% of you listening will enjoy Ocarina of Time. If you enjoy Ocarina of Time, play Indiana Jones. It's not, as I said, it's not going to beat Indiana uh, Ocarina of Time for being the best, but it's still going to be a different gameplay and you're going to enjoy it. So we come down to the results. And with a score of 69, giggity, 69% against 31. The winner of the final Jinjo. And winner 4-1 is Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Ah, well, that was an interesting one. Because... 
it was yeah it's a game that wasn't heavily played i i think a lot of people a lot of us vote you know you look at how many votes we've had in the past i think people took the clever line of do you know what i can't give i can't give an opinion i haven't played both do you know what i respect that i respect that and also i think that maybe towards the end those haters or those people that do not like hybrid heaven just started voting for uh uh indiana jones and the infernal machine maybe possibly probably but i i think that both of these games you need them as part of your collection if you are in the pal region you know you've got those everdrives out there you know go and get yourself an everdrive save up your pennies ask for birthdays christmases whatever it's such an investment it's a solid investment um and it means that yeah you you can download any game you want um both games brilliant i really enjoyed both so next time around we're sticking with the battle for gingos for now because we have got some player two enters the pods they're coming they're coming i promise but the next battle for gingos it's going to be a fun one. Because, if you didn't know already, when things hopped across to the N64, they became a bit 3D. And that traditional 2G platform... 2D! God, there's my work coming into this pla- uh, this uh, podcast. 2D platformers were a bit lost. So we're going to... We're going to correct that we're gonna talk about 2d platformers it's gonna see this game i'm sorry it's gonna get stuck in your head it's gonna see this game fighting off against another so firstly I can hear you singing along. Yoshi Story. Yoshi Story. One of my favorite games on this console. One of my favorite games on this console. Uh, Always in my top 10. It's just, it just makes me smile. And then makes me cry when I kill a Yoshi. But we'll go on to that. We'll go on to that next week. We'll go on to that next week. Poor Yoshi's. (laughs) They get taken away. Anyway. And it will be facing off against this game. Mischief. Makers, a game that I've just had through the post. I'm going to be sinking about 20 hours into this. I've had good things. I've had good things. And I can't wait to get enough info to then do a solid review on it. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have a couple weeks playing Mischief Makers. Um, Maybe going back and revisiting Yoshi's story, even though I've played that game a lot in my lifetime um but it's gonna be a nice 2g platforming 
spectacular. So I hope you join me for that. Uh, obviously, if you are about Fridays and Sundays between 8.30 and 11 o'clock British Standard Time, then come and join me for a little bit of Twitch. And there is an option on there, as you heard with the shout-outs at the beginning of the stream, but there's also an option on there to choose a game for the next stream. I've got to play Ruddy Powerpuff Girls uh, on Friday, which is meant to be awful. I haven't even played it. I've put the ROMs in the EverDrive ready. I haven't even played it, but it's meant to be cack. I didn't like Tom and Jerry, so I. <laughs> Tom and Jerry is actually meant to be better than this. So if I didn't like Tom and Jerry, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I do like the Powerpuff Girls, but I don't think I'm going to enjoy this, am I? I've just got a funny feeling I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs> I don't want to. Um, so thank you very much, JD, for that. Um, I've actually expanded the list of uh, games that we'll be playing uh, when we hit the hundreds every time, uh, just so you can't claim them. Um, <laughs> if only I'd known about that, maybe Tom and Jerry will be going on that list as well. Um, so if you're not already part of the Twitch community, it's at N64Life Podcast. Twitter, at N64Life Podcast. Instagram, at at N64 Life Podcast. And just to mix it up, if you want to send me a little email uh, like Max has, then please send it to N64 Life Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to come and join the lovely cartridge blowers having a good old time, uh, there's a little bit of innuendo on there at the moment, but it's all fun. Um, yeah, if you want to come and join us, then please hit on the old link tree on Twitter. There is a link that will put you through to the Discord channel, as well as anywhere where you want to get your podcast from. Please hit that subscribe button to the Twitch channel, to anywhere else. But please, if you are listening to this on any platform, if it gives you an option to give a rating, if it gives you an option to subscribe, please do. It helps with the algorithm shite, so it's always very helpful. Um, that's it. Done for another podcast. And I shall see you all very, very soon. Indiana Jones and the Inferno Machine. Yes, India's back in Indiana Jones and the Inferno Machine. A new real-time 3D action adventure from LucasArts. The game is a thrilling race around the globe to thwart the Soviets' frantic search for clues to the mysterious Inferno Machine. An ancient device that could unlock a legendary interdimensional gate forcing the balance of power away from the West. Indiana Jones and the Inferno Machine feature solo, multiplayer, LAN, and internet play. Indiana Jones and the Inferno Machine.
York just got more dangerous, but for who? When? Hybrid heaven, tough as hell.